Hello and welcome back to the 10th episode of WCAT Chats. I'm Alex Carr, joined alongside by Paul Maruth and Nitin Raju, and we were able to land a massive interview with the Braves GM, Alex Anthopoulos, and honestly, it was one of the coolest experiences of my life. We were able to go behind the scenes of the MLB trade market and everything like that, and it was so much cool, to, so much fun to see, so let's go on over to that right now. We're here with the Braves President of Baseball Operations and General Manager, Alex Anthopoulos. And Alex, how are you doing today? Doing great, guys. You? Well, we're all doing good here. Yeah, we're doing good. So just looking at the past year, the Braves had a very successful season. Unfortunately, they did fall to the Phillies in the postseason. But with a late push in the regular season, they were able to pass the Mets and win their fifth straight uh, pennant for the NL East. What did you see throughout the year? It was a grind the entire year, um, winning 100-plus games for the first time, I think, in 20 years or a little over 20 years. It was amazing. I, this was my 11th season as general manager. It's the first time I've been a GM, part of a team that won 100 games, so that was exciting. Uh, but it was a grind because it went down to the second to last day. We finally clinched the uh, second last day of the season in Miami and um, did a great final series against the Mets. And, of course, you want to win the World Series, and a lot of great things happen. but Phillies played great. They, they beat us, and they, they absolutely deserve to represent the NL in the World Series, and uh, they were good the entire year. I know the standings might say one thing, but they were a really talented club, and um, they had a great series, and obviously we didn't play as well as we, we could have. So um, we were happy with what happened during the season, obviously not happy about the playoffs, but you know, try to get back at it in 23. And not yeah, only they were did you huge guys have a successful we... season this year, but it looks like you're going to in the uh, the next couple of years have you re- as you were able to lock up multiple players for multiple long-year contracts, and you also had a lot of younger players step up, specifically Spencer Strider, Von Grissom, and Michael Harris. Do you have anything to add about how those players affected the team's chemistry and ability to p- compete throughout the year? We added them. We, you know, one moving Strider to the rotation, we viewed him as a starter long-term. We just had a need in the bullpen at the start of the year. And um, for him to transition and dominate the way he did, I mean, I think if he had gotten more innings, he would have been in the Cy Young conversation. I think it's eye-popping to see the numbers when you look at the innings pitched and the hits allowed, the innings and the strikeouts. As a 23-year-old in his first full season with electric stuff and, um, you know, the makeup, the competitiveness, he's off the charts. I think he's going to be a frontline starter for years to come. Harris, obviously, gold glove defense in center field. Again, we just wanted him to come up, play defense, give us a competitive at bat in the nine hole, and he exceeded our expectations by a ton uh, from an offensive standpoint. And he played every day pretty much. I think he only missed one game from the time we called him up. And then Von Grissom, again, um, Ozzy Albies goes down. Orlando Arcia comes in, plays really well. Then he goes down, and then for Von to come up with, I think, 20 games above high A and do what he did was huge for us as well. So. That's a credit to our player development, getting these guys ready, to our scouts to identify these guys. Um, and I know it's exciting for the players in the clubhouse, exciting for the fans, right? Anytime you bring up young players, exciting guys, um, it's exciting, especially with the established stars we have on the team. So it was it was great. And as much as – Yeah, I mean, one, it's I, our I, final goal of winning the World Series. I felt like 22 was a huge season in terms of being able to set ourselves up for years down the road. Mm-hmm. You talk about Michael Harris and Strider, who both during the season you locked up to a long-term extension, and you've done that with five other of the young guys on the team. What is your? Why do you do that? Why do you think that's going to help the team? And obviously, it's a rarity. You don't see that happen too much. It's a lot of risk. 
I tell all these guys, I thank them when they agree and they decide to stay, right? Because it, it's a choice. They don't have to, I understand there's guaranteed money and security and there's a lot of advantages to that. But at the same time, they, it's also, uh, they, they're, they're choosing to stay in Atlanta, which they don't need to do. They can write out their contracts go year to year and then elect to have their pick of where they want to play. So the fact that they're, they're choosing us and want to stay here and are willing to stay uh, is gratifying on a lot of levels. It's a reflection of our staff, of our players, how competitive the team is, of our fan base is the atmosphere that they create. Um, but, you know, I think it's important as well, just continuity, um, fan base wise, players, those guys set the tone in the clubhouse. You have a core group of guys that go about it the way you want them to. Um, they set the tone for what the Braves are about, what the organization is, is, is about, and uh, impacts young players that, that come in and even free agents. So, and I also think from the fan base, you know that the organization is committed to putting a competitive team yeah, tough. on the field year in and year out. So um, I think there's just a combination of things that make a lot of sense for us. Uh, but again, it all starts with players wanting to be here. So you can't get this off the ground unless they're willing to stay. Uh, speaking on the fan base, uh, Dansby Swanson, a fan favorite, obviously left this season um, to the Cubs. Do you have anything to talk about that, you know, the negotiations wise or how he, the decision kind of came? Well, he wanted to stay and he tried, he was willing to take less. And I was, I've been, I've certainly commented on that for sure. And um, tough for him because I know what this place meant to him, the city, the organization. Um, but at the same time, look, you get the free agency um, and you get an unbelievable contract. I think there comes a point in time, I don't speak for him, but you know, you're willing to take less, but at some point the gap just becomes so great. And look, from our standpoint, um, He's, you know, his free agent value is what he got from the Cubs, and he's a very desirable player. And I'm sure, there was a lot of teams that were had had interest in signing him. Um, what we're trying to always weigh is being competitive year in and year out, and making sure that we spread our dollars around. And um, it's tough sometimes. You lose some really great players, and the tough part about it is you want these guys to get expensive. You want them to be great players and be all stars and win Cy Youngs and be Silver Sluggers and Gold Glovers. Uh, with that comes an increase in price of what they would command in free agency. So we can't keep everybody. We'd love to just realistically from a payroll standpoint, you know, we're not able to pay 26 guys top end and still put a competitive team on the field with what, you know, we do, we are running a payroll in the top 10. Uh, but there, you know, there is a number that we have in mind and it just doesn't work to be able to keep it, to keep all of them. So um, that's one of the trade-offs. You, know, you want these guys to be great, but also it makes them harder to, makes it harder to keep them. So um, tough decisions we have to make. We're definitely uh, it's a huge loss. No doubt about that. Uh, you're not going to be able to replace someone like that at shortstop, especially what he brought on and off the field. You hope that other parts of the team, the same way when somebody gets hurt and so on, other parts of the team can improve and get better. Maybe that's the bullpen, the rotation, the outfield, other parts of the infield and so on. That They try to make up for a lot of what he brought. Again, there's no one player who will be able to do that. It'll have to be a collective group. And with Dansby leaving, there will be a vacancy at that shortstop position. Who do you think will be one of the people to step up and try and fill that hole that Dansby was able to secure? Well, we know Orlando Arcia can do it. He did it with Milwaukee. Uh, you know, the bat was certainly not a strength at the time, but he's got promise. He had a nice season with the bat for us last year. So, you know, given an opportunity, maybe that translate over one that translates now over 162. We made some swing changes with him when we got him. He just hasn't had an, an opportunity to, to really get the ball um, and to get the at-bats for six straight months. LeVon Grissom, someone we're very high on as a young player, but again, he's a young player with not a lot of experience. So 
they'll come in in spring training. Those guys will compete. Our manager will make the decision. Maybe he announces a starter. Maybe he decides to split time between the two of them. Um, whatever happens, that ultimately can change during the season. So even if someone was to win the job or do this or that, um, over the course of the season, guys still have to play well and earn playing time. So uh, you hope that someone could take it and run with it and have a great year, but it could very well be fluid throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Decisions like that, do you mainly let Snicker manage them or do you kind of give some advice and show him the analytics? And is it a partnership or would you say that he mainly takes the reins? We're always, all of us are doing work together and he wants information. We have meetings and so on and we'll break down the information and the data and so on. But, you know, Brian, the manager will be involved. The coaches will be involved. But ultimately when it comes down to setting the lineup day in and day out, it's his decision. You know, he, he comes in, either he decides the night before or the, that, that morning and he makes a decision, he'll write out the lineup. So we might have, have discussions on maybe against a certain starter or someone hits velocity better. Someone's got a good curveball or slider and one of them is not as strong against that pitch. Some of those things, maybe someone's banged up and their legs are sore or something and you're giving them a day. So um, maybe it's a fly, it's a fly ball guy on the mound for us and a ground ball guy conversely and somebody we feel has stronger range. So you're, you're weighing all those things. He gets that information, whether it's from someone downstairs, maybe it's in conversation with me or somebody else. But um, I feel like collectively we're always talking about things. We're exchanging information. Um, but he has to make decisions just like he does during, during the game. He has all the information, but I always tell him he has to answer the questions to the media after the game. I don't. I don't have to do media afterwards. I don't have to do media before. He also has to answer to the players, right? If guys are playing or not playing and they want to come have a conversation with him in his Yeah, office, look, if we had known, they would have that impact. It's important that the manager is empowered, in my opinion, to make those decisions. One of the biggest things I think I, when people kind of associate you and the Braves is the 2021 trade deadline, obviously picking, a play, picking up players like Jock Peterson, uh, Eddie Rosario, and Jorge Soler. What was that kind of um, that whole scenario where you're picking up, being able to pick up those players and the big impact they had leading the Braves to the World Series? Like I would have said it at the time of the trades. We were just trying to get better. We had a lot of openings. We needed a lot of bodies. You know, you're bringing in four guys. Um, you know, in terms of position players that we need, we had so many injuries, so many guys um, not performing, and we, we needed as much depth as we could get. And we pursued other players. So, and those are the guys that we ended up with. We liked them all, obviously. We took, we didn't, you know, those are guys that we selectively chose. That being said, uh, they performed exceptionally well in the way the team took off and so on. So, you know, I think I'd be lying if I told you we expected them all to do what they did and the team to explode the way they did. But we knew that we had a chance to win the division. And our view was we were better than we had played. The guys coming back from the IL, um, we knew we, we could prop up the offense a little bit more and have a little more depth. We could be in a position to make the postseason. And once you get in, anything can happen. So it's a credit to all those guys that they played really well. It's a credit to our staff, our coaches that put them in a position of success. Um, and obviously, you know, from there, we played exceptionally well last two months of the season into the playoffs. But we felt we had a strong team the entire time. And we had a lot of people that thought we'd make a deep playoff run going into 21. So you lose, you have all these guys get hurt and, and so on. Um, for those guys to come in and do what they did, obviously, really, you look at Jock Peterson could have been the NLDS MVP if they had one. And then Rosario being the CS MVP, Soler being the World Series MVP. Yeah, so by, I mean, they by could design. Not any better. And even what they did to get us to win the division, the way they, they performed, they, they were huge, along with the players that were already here. And um, over the postseason, Jock Peterson kind of became a fan favorite with the uh, Jock Pearls. Do you have anything to add about the chemistry that he brought to the team and just the excitement that was all around the stadium throughout that postseason run? 
And, you know, Jock was the first person that we brought in. I knew him from L.A. when I worked at the Dodgers. I knew what he brought to a clubhouse, how high energy he is, charismatic he is, what a, what a good teammate he is. Um, you know, he's the type of guy, he walks in a room, you can't help but, but smile, and you're excited to see him. And at the time that we made the deals, there was a lot of talk. We just lost Acuna, we just lost Acuna for the season. Ian Anderson it was going on the IL with his shoulder, and it was uncertainty how long he'd be out for. And um, I think our players were a little bit down in the dumps, and it was totally fair considering we had been grinding and grinding, and guys kept getting hurt, and guys, things kept going wrong for us. And it just felt like it was one punch after another that they continued to endure. So I felt like bringing in someone that could be high energy, could really um, – bring a spark to the room was going to be important. And even I think a few days later, a day or two later, we brought in Steven Vogt from the Dimebacks, same kind of guy, high energy guy, great clubhouse guy. And I remember talking to both guys, explaining to them, look, we're bringing you for what you can do on the field, of course, but I need both of you to bring what you bring to the clubhouse, the energy, the atmosphere, uh, get some life back. Cause these guys were, it was tough. It was a tough four months for our guys. And uh, I felt they we needed, that type of personality injected into our clubhouse at that time. And also to take away any thought that we might sell or fold because we lost guys. And so, and I think I was important in my mind to send a signal to the players that we were going to continue to fight and compete and uh, try to get to the trade deadline and continue to act. Yeah. And talking about that team chemistry that you guys had, it was really strong for multiple years, but um, you guys did lose Freddie Freeman to this tree agency. Um, what was that hit to uh, with the, uh, the clubhouse losing such a big player with a, a big impact who had been on the team for a very long time? That's always, you lose great players, MVPs, guys that have been here over 10 years. Those are huge hits. You know, and everyone gets close to these guys and gets attached. And I've said this before, players aren't, the players that people get attached to, they've earned that, right? right? They, they've done that because they've been here a long time. They've performed well. They've been good people, good teammates. So when you get attached, that's not by accident, right? That's by because of all those factors. So it's been earned. And it's tough when you lose those guys, but um, it happens in sports. And as hard as that is to handle or stomach at times, you know, there's going to be change and there's going to be turnover. And that, that's tough just the way the game is set up. So um, I think everything else, you know, it's, it's um, you can't replace those guys individually. You know that. That's what makes them great players. You hope that other parts of the team step up and emerge. And people, the same way, like I said, if a guy gets hurt during the season, you know, we lost Ronald Acuna, who's having an MVP season in 21. We found a way. We had to add some guys and so on, but we got through and we won. So, um, you know, the one thing is if you have a strong enough room and you have enough depth and enough players, hopefully you can overcome some of those things. But no doubt it hurts, and it definitely has an impact. I mean, that you can't uh, take anything away from that. You lose great players, it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. I think how y'all managed that so well by trading from Matt Olson, signing with that longer, long-term extension pretty quickly within like 24 hours. I think that was a great way to, you know, still show that we care about first base and Matt Olson is silver slugger, gold glove. And so for the prospects you've given up, Pache, Langoliers, as well as um, Ryan Cusick, you know, they haven't totally performed for the athletics so far. How would you say, how were those negotiations and how did you eventually land on Olson? Once we, it was clear to us that um, Freddie wasn't going to be coming back. We knew we had to fill first base and um, there's a few guys out there in free agency. Um, and we knew Olsen was out there in trade. So we got aggressive and trying to get a deal done. It was hard to trade. It's always tough to trade young players. So, and once we got him, it was important for us knowing that you know, he was two years from free agency. We didn't want to have to go through the questions of 
are we going to be going through this again? And we trade a lot of assets and so on. So it was important for us to get a deal done, an extension done as fast as we, we could. So we certainly aim to do that as well. In terms of evaluating trades, you know, it's hard to do, especially with young players to do it early. You know, if Kyle Wright had been traded three years ago, people would say, oh, you know, we haven't done much, not a big deal. Now, last year, he wins 21 games. So with young players, you have to give them time. And it just takes time for them to emerge at times. Even if you look at Swanson and Riley, they didn't necessarily hit the ground running. Uh, first full seasons in the, ma in the major leagues, it took a little time for them to become all-star caliber players and so on. So um, you know that when you're trading for good players, you're going to give up talent and it's tough. And the guys you brought up, sure, some of them may not have had their strongest year, but they're still young enough. and There's still plenty of time for them to go still be all-stars and fulfill their potential. And look, their, their, their potential, but you, know, you want trades to work out for, for both sides. So, um, you know, you're trying to balance it out, but you know that between your trading young players, it's, it's scary because they have a long track and a long road and, um, you know, you're trading for the now. And that, that's always tough because you're always trying to balance the short term and the long term. Um, another player we, you acquired from the athletics this year, Sean Murphy, a catcher, also very similar to the Matt Olson deal. You kind of signed him to a long term contract. How is that situation going to work with Travis Darno? DH and catcher, they'll get every day at bats, so that's not a concern there. Now, in terms of starts behind the plate, you know, the manager will decide that. We had a similar scenario where we had Flowers and Kurt Suzuki, or Brian McCann came in with Flowers, or then Darno came in with, with, with Flowers as well. So, you know, Travis is an amazing teammate. He caught every inning of the World Series run for us. He was an all-star for the first time this year. He was a silver slugger a few years ago in, in 20. Um, he's really the glue to our clubhouse. So, I talked to him beforehand. He was excited about the deal, felt trade made us better, stronger. He asked for Sean Murphy's phone number. He's the first guy to call him. Um, you know, in that position, no one's playing 162 games behind the plate. It's a two-man position, no matter which way you slice it. You can run someone into the ground and play them a ton, but, you know, ultimately their, their legs, their ability piece, it's not the best thing for them. So the fact that yeah, they're I mean, to be in the line you, day in and day out is the most important thing. And in terms of how the starts are going to work, um, you know, the manager will make those determinations. but you should expect to see both guys in the lineup day in and day out. Now, one big thing with trades is going to be the young talent and prospects that are going to be shifted around both teams. What do you think are the main factors that go into which players are valuable for trade assets or something like that? You rarely will tell a team, look, I'll, I'll offer you these guys. You're asking them, you know, you don't want to do their scouting for them, right? If you're offering players up, the other team's thinking, why would you be offering players? So, um, you let teams ask you for players and ultimately you have to decide if you're willing to part with those guys. So um, we're trying to scout the best players that we can bring in the best players, develop them, be the best players that they can be. Um, it's tough. You know, there's times where we have prospects ranked higher than others and the later round picks are the ones that become the stronger players. So it's very hard when you're evaluating 17, 18, 21 year olds and trying to determine what they're going to be when they're 28 or 29. Um, but again, it's an inexact science and, you know that the player you're acquiring is at that moment in time a more accomplished big league player, and that's why you're trading more than one young player, right? They're called they're called prospects for a reason. So there is risk, uh, but there's tremendous upside as well. So I mean, we want all these guys to be good players. Uh, there's some that we choose not to part with, some we're willing to part with, but we know we're going to have to give up talent regardless. I think a lot of times it comes down to the volume, right? Is it two? Is it three? Is it four? How many are you willing to trade? because uh, it does get more expensive and it certainly hurts. Mm -hmm. You speak about your scouting for drafting Novellas with like um, Dana Brown and back you drafted 
Strider was a fourth round pick, Elder was a fifth, you had Grisham was an eleventh, and Harris was a third. How has your scouting system find these diamonds in the rough per se? And they've been the face of your franchise now. Just we have good scouts, good individuals, good group. I think our process is sound. Well, we make mistakes too, right? You know, those are the ones that have worked out. I can list a bunch of others uh, that haven't, right? So it's inexact. No team is batting a thousand in the draft. You know, and then the other piece doesn't get talked about enough is the player development side, right? You see these guys in high school or college, but the people in development have them for a long period of time. They're with them day in and day out. They're you know working on their skills, deliveries, swings, and so on. Um, how to go about it, being able to stay on the field, be durable. It's hard for these guys. You know, you're going from college or high school to a pro season where you're playing every day, and your body has to adjust. And that's a real grind and a real challenge as well. So it's really a collective thing. Scouts yeah, I mean, for the most part, about, I mean, you're going. You know, the draft is what everyone likes to pay attention to, but um, you can't, you know, say enough about the people that are with these guys, the coaches that are with them day in and day out, getting them ready to come up here and impact the team in it. Uh, with the Braves. And can you give us a little bit of a rundown about the processes that the scouts do looking at this young talent, either they're in high school or college? To see as many games as you can once the, scout, once the scouting season starts. So the year prior in the summer, you're going to see a lot of showcases, wood bat leagues, whether that's Cape League in college or Team USA. Um, and then from a high school standpoint, there's a lot of showcases with the top young players in the country. You love getting looks at that because it's great, great competition. I think when you get to the spring for the high school players, you're trying to just confirm what you saw in the summer because, again, now they're playing at their schools and competition isn't as good and so on, and it's a little bit harder, but you want to see maybe their bodies have changed, have they gotten stronger. You're going to watch batting practice, going to watch bullpens, see how they look there. From a college standpoint, now the competition is still pretty competitive and strong depending on where they're playing, whether that's D1 or JC. Uh, but again, same thing. You're going to watch as many games as you can. You want to watch practices. You want to watch batting practice. You want to watch bullpens. And then you want to be able to talk to the kids. And yeah, meet, we have a bunch. I mean, we had a, and maybe talk to their families and their friends and trying to put it all together. It's very inexact, very hard. Um, but you're trying to gather as much information as you can. And then ultimately when it's your turn to pick, try to make the best decision. Are there any young prospects currently in your uh, farm league that are looking to burst on the scene this year, either in high A or the majors? We took a lot of high school kids out of the draft last year, so we're excited about that group. I think that'll be a big. This will be a big year for them. Um, we don't normally promote individual guys in terms of from a media standpoint and so on. One, you try to be fair across the board. Um, two, we don't necessarily want to tell everybody who we like more than the other. Um, you know, and it doesn't mean we're always right, but obviously we, our job is to know these guys much better than anybody else. Cause we have them daily. So, um, but we are, we, we, we drafted a bunch of young guys last year, a lot of high school players, and those are the ones that take a little longer to develop. But the fact that they got a taste of pro ball last year, now that they've had a re regular off season, they know what to expect. I'm excited to see what a lot of those graphics do in 2023. Uh, talking about player development, Ron Washington has had a huge impact on all the young athletes and obviously the players who are on the team right now. Can you tell us a little bit how the impact of Ron Washington has had on the team? He's tremendous. I didn't know Wash before I got here. I knew of him, uh, but I didn't know him, and I've gotten to know him really well, obviously, over the years. Uh, the impact he has, the respect he has of the players, obviously his knowledge of infield play is exceptional. He managed uh, very successfully two World Series appearances. Um, he was very successful with the Rangers as well. But um, the way he commands a room, the respect he has, the charisma he has, 
um, the way he can have a tough conversation. Uh, he connects with players better than anybody I've ever seen. I feel like I've been around a lot of really good coaches, and that's not taking anything away from them, but I think Ron is the best I've ever seen it, truly connecting with players the way he does. It doesn't impact um, us. So I'm really grateful that he was here when I got here. Uh, he's been a huge part of our success, and I'm excited that he's going to be here going forward. Uh, the Mets and Phillies have been making a lot of big moves this offseason, some big names, blockbuster trades and things like that. What kind of impact does that have on you when you have to make decisions? Are you more influenced to make those, or how, what does that affect you? We're following, and you see them getting better, and don't feel good about that, but it doesn't change our decision-making. I mean, we have to just worry about ourselves. You know, what parameters we have, things we have to work with. We can't be reactionary to what other teams are doing, whether that's in the division or in the NL and so on. So we have to be good at what we're good at. Um, and just really try to emphasize those things and not try to be someone that, that we're not. You know, every market's different. The team's different. Every organization's different. The rosters are different. Who you have in place, who your core is, your, your staff, and so on. So I really think you have to be very mindful of, you know, being specific to where you are and what you have and worrying about that and trying to build the team that way rather than reacting um, to what other teams are doing. And how do you think that the offseason has been? Granted, you guys have been able to sign multiple big-name players. And then also, uh, with spring's training starting up soon, what, do you, what are you guys looking to do? Here to add depth. Um, you always, you know, in this job, you're worrying about guys getting hurt, a bunch of injuries and so on. So you look on paper and like, yeah, if everyone's healthy and playing the way they can, you think you have a great club. But you know that's not going to happen. Guys are going to have down years. Guys are going to get hurt. So you always start thinking about, okay, if this guy gets hurt, who's next? And if another guy gets hurt, who's next? So you're looking for your second line of players for all positions, really. And you hope when you do encounter an injury and so on, it's not long-term, but you're constantly worried about those, those things. So um, I think, especially now, as you get closer to spring training, um, you know, there's been a lot of activity already with trades and, and signings, but I think we're still going to look to try to solidify the roster and be as deep as we can. Uh, speaking about solidifying the roster, the left field position has kind of been, you know, a lot of the names have been thrown around who's going to kind of take that position. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the left field position as of now? Quite open at this point. Um, obviously, the guys on the roster, Ozuna, Rosario, Jordan Luplo, who we just signed. Um, but again, it was, right now, it's we don't have a, someone who's got an established starting left fielder that you know, Snit's prepared to give the job to. So that'll play itself out in spring training. Um we explored things in free agency and trade, things could still happen. Um, we're not close to anything right now. But, I mean, as of right now, that's going to be a competition in camp in terms of how the manager decides to go in terms of playing time. Does he give someone every day at best? Does he go with a platoon? Um, you know, and then, obviously, you have impact of having injuries and so on. But we know what these guys can all do if they're right and they're healthy. We know Rosario has been a very productive player. We know Zuma has been a very productive player. That didn't happen in 22. Jordan Luplo's had flashes, and he's had good seasons before in 2019 with the Indians, and he's a great defender. So they're capable of it. They haven't consistently done it the last few years, and that's what that's why it's an open competition. So um, I wouldn't be surprised for any of those guys to take the job. And that was great. great season. Uh, I think beating LA, but we're going to need all of them, right? We're going to need all these guys over the course of six months doing well. Everyone's going to get an opportunity for playing time, and it's what everyone does when they get that, op that opportunity to keep it. Mm -hmm. So I seen you back home. You had the World Series trophy. What was that whole experience like? Obviously beating the Dodgers, your former team, and then obviously winning it over the Astros when you had COVID and the parade and all of that. What was that experience like? 
play for us was a big deal. We couldn't get over the hump, right? We had played them twice in the postseason. We, you know, we couldn't beat them in 2020. It was heartbreaking the way we lost up 3-1 in the series. Um, and even the way, you know, that 21 series was going, it was three times in four years. And, and it felt like that was our World Series in a lot of ways because it just was that, the dragon that we couldn't slay. So to get over the hump, we have so much respect for them, that organization, how talented they are, how well they run. Uh, we knew how challenging and those guys are in the postseason every single year. So um, to do that was huge. And that doesn't mean we, we look past the Astros, but, you know, that was a big moment for us to break through finally. Um, and then look, the Astros series, the way it went was awesome for us. It was a little scary when we lost game five. You know, you, you know all of a sudden now you're thinking, oh, man, if we lose game six, momentum is really swung the other way. So Max Fried going out and doing what he did in game six was tremendous for us. But that was incredible. It was an incredible experience. The parade was great. Got to experience that. Um, I think more importantly, it was just I'd heard so much about Atlanta sports and how things hadn't gone well. And knowing that we were all part of the second and in terms of the big four sports, second championship in the city of Atlanta was pretty exciting and knowing it had been so so long. So uh, knowing that a lot of people in Georgia were proud. I don't know that it, that's Atlanta done a ton in the offseason. Part of that. Uh, it's a feeling that you'll have forever. And talking about the postseason, there have been a couple of signings throughout the league when a, a team is thinking that they're going to go far in the uh, championship. Can you give us some little insight about how teams sign players that are either really fast or great at pinch hitting to help them and benefit them in the postseason? I think more trade deadline, right? People are have better, you know, you get to the trade deadline, you're two-thirds of the se- way through the season. You have a pretty good idea what your chances are of getting to the playoffs. And that's where you see a lot of teams adding guys to pinch run and so on. It's tough to plan for that in the offseason because there's just so much that can happen between now and the end of July. Look, you might plenty of teams have designs on making the postseason, and then for whatever reason, guys get hurt, guys aren't performing, just things don't go well for them, and they're not a factor come trade. Deadline. I think so. I do think people make those decisions, guys to come in and hit late, a, you know, reliever, guys to run the bases, those little moves. Uh, those normally get done around the trade deadline because you know that much more about your opportunity to get to the playoffs. Uh, looking ahead to the 2023 season, there have been a few rule changes here and there. Can you talk, talk to us a little bit about that and how do you think that will affect MLB or just even the Braves? I expect um, more teams to be aggressive on the base pass, stealing bases, can't throw over as often. The bases have you know, expanded in size a little bit. Um, so I do think that'll, you know, to what percentage, obviously, that's the unknown. But you definitely would expect attempts to, to go up. Um, and that's that's by design, right? You know, the league wants more action, and I think that'll be good for the game and it'll be exciting. But I think that's probably the one thing that does jump out the most. Uh, look, there'll be a lot of talk about the lack of shifts. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is the majority of teams that shift are doing it predominantly against left-handed hitters. Well, right-handed hitters get shifted as well, but left-handed hitters much more so. So I think you'll see a lot of batting averages go up for, for left-handed hitters, and you're not going to see guys in shallow right field. Um, but that'll accentuate the athleticism. I don't know that it, those infielders on that side as well, second and first and so on. Uh, knowing that you, know, you don't have that other, that one other guy in the, in the infield and range will certainly come into play a little more. Now, looking at the Braves uh, lineup, you've got Matt Olson, who's a big pole hitter, I believe. Yep. So how do you think that it'll affect his uh, plate uh, approach? You know, the approach is changing, I think. I think these guys look even with the shifts, right? Guys, their, their swings are their swings. That's what works for them. It's been successful. Especially if you're putting the ball in the air, then you're not worried about the shift, right? It's more for ground balls. Um, 
But look, a guys that pull the ball, like Matt, a left-handed hitter, you would think that um, in terms of their average, you should see higher batting averages from left-handed hitters. It just makes sense that when teams can't go into the shift. So uh, I would think across the board, you'll see improvement to what degree. You know, we'll find out. But I would expect all these guys to, their, their averages to certainly go up. Now, changing the topic a little bit here, earlier today, the Westminster Leadership Jan Term had the opportunity to be able to talk with you about leadership, and what does it feel like to be considered as a leader to the next generation? never thought about it that way, but I think the longer I do this and the more I get opportunities to do things like that, I understand it. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I view it as an opportunity that if I can impact one person, I told that group, the group that today, um, then it's worth my time, you know. 15 people there, 20 people there, one person gets something out of my story or what I have to say, or the way I view the world or advice I might have. Um, and that helps somebody 10 years from now, 20 years from now, uh, I'll be elated, you know, and that's especially because I know what it was like to be in, in those shoes and um, at, at that time. And I, I'd wish I'd had more opportunity to talk to people and so on. So um, any chance I get to do things like this, I'm glad to do it. Uh, I got to see the program last year for the first time. I was amazed by it. Just I got to see a few of the kids, um, a few of the students go and, and basically present. And uh, I was blown away. And I just was blown away by concept, by the class. And um, I was amazed by it. So uh, I got asked to speak again. And I'll always do it as long as I get asked. I think the program is tremendous. You're certainly someone that I would say is a leader. You basically have my dream job, per se. What's some advice you'd give to someone that wants to be an MLB scout or a GM? Basically, I would say, I mean, the way to get in, people ask me all the time, how do you get in, how do you get started? An internship is 99% of the way that you're going to get in, and you have to be willing to do whatever it takes. So I wouldn't be in a rush to, obviously, you want to get to the GM position, but you have to start somewhere. So um, I think getting your foot in the door may not be baseball operations, just get into an organization, some capacity. Once you get in with your work ethic, it should be is extremely important. Your attitude, having humility is exceptionally important as well. Uh, being someone people want to work with is exceptionally important. Look, your content's obviously going to be important as well, but at least when you're starting, I think those other components, work ethic, humility, your attitude, those things will take you a long way. But I yeah, the biggest I mean, thing is to get your foot in the door and not be selective about departments and so on. Once you're in, um, the rest can take care of itself. Now, on to more of like a fun topic. I know a lot of people like to eat the ballpark food at Truist, which has notoriously been is very, very good. But for you, as someone who probably traveled to a lot of stadiums, do you have a favorite food item from a different stadium, or would you like do you like Truist food the best? Because so when I travel, I'm in the clubhouse, or um, you know, and even here, right? I mean, they have a suite for us, which is great. Um, but I'm kind of sneaking from the clubhouse to the suite. I'm not even if I'm walking out. I've kind of put my my head down and walk through the crowd um, just because I know that if I stop, I might be there for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and it's part of the game. But if someone stops me and wants to talk, I'll certainly do that. But I try to just kind of put my head down and get in and out. So I'm not sitting in line and so on. Now, I have heard from people that they love the food. They really enjoy it. Um, but I haven't been someone that really walked. Yeah. I mean, look at ball, ballparks um, just because, you know, you're probably going to have fans that come up to you and so on. And, um, you're not necessarily trying to draw attention to yourself or draw a crowd and you're only in a rush to get to the next place. Now, what do you think is the best part about being the general manager of the Braves and being and having the opportunity to be able to go to every single game 
whenever you really want it. Look, it's that, when you put it that way, it sounds awesome, right? Um, and I, if you, if you're putting it that way with the Hawks and the Falcons, I'm like, yeah, sign me up. The reality of it is when you're in these jobs, there's a lot of stress, pressure, because you know you want to have success, right? People are counting on you, employees, fans, and so on. So if you knew you're just going to sit back and watch the game and enjoy it, and no matter what happens, no one's going to blame you, it's probably a lot more fun. But you know that winning and losing, it falls at your feet. So, And you know that there's expectations and people that live and die with the team and buy season tickets and jerseys and um, that really have a lot of pride in the team. And it's, it should be important to them. So there's a really great responsibility that comes with that. Now, if you were to ask me before I was a GM, I'd say, wow, you, you can make trades and so on. That sounds like a lot of fun. But I think after having experience being a GM now and being able to get to the postseason, uh, impacting the community is the most rewarding part. Seeing people be proud, wear the gear, knowing that you're winning, you know, seeing the, the parade, um, you know, what you're doing to the community, the city, um, that is the most rewarding part, knowing that you have an impact and you're really bringing a bunch of people together, right? It's, people might not be agreeing about a lot of things, but if they're all united by uh, cheering for the Braves, it's pretty awesome, you know, and you're bringing joy in that respect. So it sounds a little corny, but when it happens, it's pretty incredible to see. Yeah, that, um, and knowing that you are a part of that is really rewarding. Uh, going, I have one more question here. I've watched a movie called uh, Moneyball, with, where it kind of goes into Billy Bean and his story as the Athletics General Manager. Uh, I think one of the biggest kind of themes is he didn't like watching the games, and he would kind of go into his car and he'd listen to the radio and try to kind of avoid the games. Have you? Has that ever happened to you where you just can't watch? It happens a lot. It happens uh, more so the older I've gotten. I think when I was younger as a GM, I could watch. I think over time, I don't know why, um, yeah, it gets harder to watch because you're just – you're living and dying with every pitch. So there's times I'll the, the MLB app. Um, you guys ever get that? Basically, it's it's not as painful as when you watch it on TV. Or I will get in my car. I'll, I'll drive around at times. I'll listen to the listen to the call uh, with Joe Simpson and Ben. And um, you know, just depending on how big the game is. Now, the game's not really. You know, let's say we've already clinched the playoff spot, or we're up ten to one. Um, I can enjoy those games, but those games that are really tight and tough. Now, conversely, we get blown out early and it looks like, hey, we're not winning that night. It definitely takes the, you know, the edge off. But close games, tight games, they're hard to watch. Um, you know, you want to win. You know how important it is. You know that the season you might be looking up at the end of the year thinking, wow, we were a win short. Just look at 22, second to last day of the season. You start thinking back to all those close games you had during the year. Imagine you don't win the division by one game. You, know, you really start to lament the missed opportunities. So it's hard. It gets harder the older you get or the longer you do these jobs. Um, and I do find it a lot harder to watch. Mm -hmm. I remember the story for when we won the World Series about this, of you reorganizing Brian Snicker's book save, bookshelf in his office. I mean, even me personally as a fan, it's, I struggle to watch some of those games. I'll turn it off and look on the MLB app just like you do. Well, thank you, Alex, so much for joining us. I know that this is... Uh, more than I expected out of this uh, interview. It was so much fun, and I hope you guys have the best of luck going into the spring training and in the coming seasons. Thank you. All right, guys, glad to do it. Uh, enjoy the podcast. Keep doing a great job. Really appreciate, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Alex, for taking your time away of the day and coming on the show with us. It was so much fun. We learned a lot about the Braves, the 2021 World Series, and even some future plans. Remember to like and subscribe. Follow us on all, wherever you get your podcasts at WCAT Chats. 
as well as we have a lot of great interviews coming up. So just remember to click that notifications button so you can see them when they come out. And that's all from us here. Thank you so much for watching, and as always, go Cats.